Today's episode is about change, and in order to understand changes in the game and how it's evolved, I'm going to share a portion of Homer Smith's manual called The History of Football Concepts, which he produced in 1999. It was self-published. There were actually 17 of these pamphlets on different sections of offensive football. For me, it's a highly prized resource, something that I refer back to often when I'm studying the game. In fact, I mentioned Homer Smith and refer to him quite a bit on this podcast. I think he's one of the great thinkers in the game. And if you don't know who he was, uh, I'll go over his bio now. He was a player at Princeton, so it's not surprising that his intellect on the game is superior. But he served as a head football coach at Davidson College from 1965 to 1969, then the University of the Pacific from 1970 to 1971 and then the U.S. Military Academy, 1974 to 1978. As an offensive coordinator, he was an incredible thinker on the game. He was the offensive coordinator at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, 1972 to 73, then again in 80 to 86, and a third time in 90 to 93. He was the offensive coordinator at the University of Alabama twice, 1988 to 1989, then 1994 and 95, and the University of Arizona, 1996. Then he made it to the NFL and was the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was a Broyles Award finalist in 1997. I mentioned that he attended and graduated from Princeton, but he also has degrees from Stanford Business School and Harvard Divinity School. He passed away in 2011. He had a book published in 1970 called The Handbook for Coaching the Football Passing Attack. And it's highly detailed. There's so much of it that still applies to football today and to the passing game today. It's out of print, but I highly recommend finding this one and putting it on your shelf. It's something that you can refer to and study. Again, he greatly understood the passing game. He also wrote a series of manuals, as I mentioned, 17 of them in all. One of them went on to be published as a book by itself, The Complete Handbook of Clock Management, which was published by Coach's Choice. But these other ones were basically made on a copier, bound together, and sent out. There were in the uh, late 90s, as I said, it was available, and I picked these up uh, back then and have all 17 of them right now. And the one I want to focus on today is called The History of Football Concepts. And he starts in this one by saying this is not a chronicle. It is an examination of how football ideas have led to other ideas. An examination written for coaches who must live by foreseeing change. It compresses for study 50 years of change. It covers the ideas that are in the foundation of football, the ideas on which you must stand if you are to have any chance of foreseeing change. Winter and Summer Manuals of the American Football Coaches Association, 85 consecutive ones, starting with the first one from January of 1955, were reviewed and researching. What do they reveal? That the great ideas are countered by great ideas. That the only constant is the countering. This 17th and final manual is written in awe of the ingenuity and counter-ingenuity of football coaches. So I'm going to jump ahead to the end where he talks to coaches and gives his recommendation about foreseeing the future. It's something that he always did. In 1970, he envisioned a time when computers would be used to break down football and even to call plays. And he had a drawing of what that might look like. And in 2022, we have so much technology that is a part of this game on the 
high school level we're able to use technology on the sideline. It's not calling plays for us yet, but in the future, I think there's going to be some tools that help us call the best play on game day. So we'll jump through the 50 years. We'll get to the end, but I can say that what you have in these 50 years of this breakdown, he went through every single one of those manuals and he talked about how one offense was developed to counter a certain defense and then a certain defense was developed to counter that offense and how this just swung back and forth. And it's something I've definitely learned from as I look back at the game and I look and see at the changes that are happening. I think what I see is a lot of the things that were popular before come back and we use them again. Now they come back in a different form. They're not always the same. For example, there was a time when the tailback essentially was really the quarterback. It was the guy who would run with the ball, throw the ball. The quarterback was a guy who stood up by the line of scrimmage, not directly behind the center in the single wing, and would call signals. But you look to the modern spread, and we have that runner now, that guy who is not only going to throw the ball around, but who is going to be a threat with his legs as well. That's become a popular part of the game. So he does an outstanding job going through how football has evolved and then he gives some recommendations to coaches at the end into how they need to approach the game when they're looking at how things might evolve in the future in order to stay ahead of the game and be great in this profession so the last section he titles important lessons for a young coach and I believe this is something that is not just for a young coach I think it's any coach who wants to continue to grow in the profession you must continually suspect examine experiment, test, disregard. Offenses come and go. You don't want to be using one that's on its way out. You must be your own futurist. The subject of where football is headed is treated not once in the 85 consecutive coaches' manuals. It is sobering to read about past devotion to ideas that we know now we're doomed. Language is all important. It freezes thought. Running backs run flare control routes long after they have lost their effectiveness. It frees thought. The alley player was needed to stop options, but for a long time he did not have a name to bring a focus on his importance. It comes out of the sky. Coaches had cloud pass coverage, so inverted coverage became sky. Creative coaches do not always talk about what they do. You have to dig in. Clinics give you only a smattering. Somehow you have to get game tapes, sit on in on meetings, get a subordinate to talk, and just dig. I think when you look at really over the last couple of years how the pandemic has changed the exchange of information, it's so easy now to get the information that you need. What do you do with it all though? As he said, how do you become your own futurist? He talks about language. I think language is so important. I talk about it all the time. How we structure and put things together is very important to how our offense is going to run and also how it evolves uh, and exercise. And I want to say in some ways we stumbled onto this, but we went through an exercise where we looked at our formations and then it led to looking at our structures for our run game And the best thing we did when we were putting that together was envision not just what we needed that particular year, but we started asking ourselves the what ifs. What if, for example, we wanted to run a three-back offense? A few years later, we actually had some of that into it, 
and we already had the structure for it. So we were able to fit that in seamlessly because we did have some forward thinking in our process of putting things together. Coach Smith continues, Coaches will draw up one defense and block it without talking about a concept that will block all defenses. Beware. Some things work only on a writing board, like pulling the center out of a pocket pass protection unit to take an edge rusher. You must learn, but you should not imitate. You cannot necessarily coach what another man can coach. There has not been a single great coach who was a copycat. I said, it's really easy to learn things nowadays. You can go online. You can get somebody online on a Zoom and learn all of those things, but it's in how you do it. Uh, It's your identity. You know, in doing 1,500 or so of these podcasts, I really noticed that every single coach has his own fingerprint of what he does. And we bring a lot of successful coaches on this podcast. And while they've learned things from other people, they haven't become a copycat. They take it and they evolve it to something that fits for them and for their players and for their program. Coach Smith continues on. Identifications can sometimes hurt more than help. This is commonly called a 5-2. He has his diagram to the right. Uh, of a 5-2 defense. It's a a, um, pro formation, split backs, uh, flanker tight end one side, split end to the other, and just the standard 5-2 alignment with the will walked up over air. And so he says, if S and W take turns rushing and dropping, it can be called the 3-4. If the W always rushes, it can be called a 4-3. So again, the idea of not getting caught up in the terminology and letting that limit us. A side note on Coach's diagrams, he hand-drew everything in all 17 of these manuals, and I was able to talk to his daughter about this, and he believed that you had to draw things up and everything had to be perfect, and his circles in this and his lettering is perfect. Uh, It's it's, uh, something he believed was an art form. You want to be alert for adjurations like, got to get back to basics, axioms like player's not plays, win, and observations like we are not controlling the line of scrimmage. They take your mind off structural problems that alone can solve for your players. Great point that he makes right there, right? Not trying to pin things on uh, some things that really have become cliche, some generalities that really don't help you solve problems for your players. You want to be circumspect when someone starts talking about his multiple or his simplified offense. Anyone can multiply things. And as for simplifying, defenders will not let you do it. Great points there, right? How do you become simple? I think that in and of itself is an art form. Coaches talk about it all the time. We've become simpler. We've whittled this down to this much. Does it solve all your problems? Does it handle all the problems that you may face? You want to put your players in position to win So you have to be able to have answers. He finishes this section by saying some coaches feel comfortable only in the part of the game that is stabilized. Weight training, agility drills, simple fundamentals, and psychology. His point is to be a great coach, you have to go beyond that. You really need to get deep on studying things and understanding the why. And that's something that he was great at. He put together these detailed manuals that really go into the why of doing certain things. The next section is called Looking Ahead, Defensive Coaches. They can certainly do better what they already do. They can. 
have frontal defenders confused targeting. Targeting in this case is something he meant uh, identification. Targeting certainly become different in today's game. Have pass defenders moving at the snap. Move defenders late at three different levels, staying balanced but forcing last-second retargeting. Use more big linebackers who can both play in the line and drop out into pass defense. Scheme to keep an offense from releasing all five receivers. Expand and contract defenses better as offenses play one, two, three, and no backs. Position better the defender who will be the unoccupied defender against an expected play. Work to mirror offensive initial movement ever more accurately. Change Russ drop ratios more regularly. Work to bracket receivers still more creatively. Make amorphous looking defenses impossible to name. Teach better how to give an offender, receiver, blocker, runner, passer just one way to go. From the offensive side, defenses need to be defined by balances, compressions, positions of unoccupied players relative to plays, and coverages relative to patterns rather than by numbers of linemen and linebackers. Popular identifications of defenses do not specify what the defenses do. This has to change. I think he was foreseeing a time when we get into hybrid defenders, hybrid players. It's on both sides of the ball right now. Guys who don't necessarily fit into one skill set. They're able to do multiple things. They have a body type that works in multiple positions. Individual techniques. Defensive techniques are advanced. Offensive techniques are not advanced. How many receivers can fake a defender as well as a good hockey player can fake a goalie? How many offensive blockers can react to what they see as well as a good wrestler can? There is vast room for improvement in techniques. Prediction. Offenders will start working as many hours as gymnasts and tennis players work, and offensive techniques will improve relative to defensive techniques. We've seen that happen, right? So he's talking about a time where it was pretty simplistic. We definitely have seen that happen. QB ability. Imagine the instruction that is available for certain young tennis players, springboard divers, and ice skaters. Is there anything comparable for young quarterbacks? No. Why? Because working at QB takes more organization. It takes receivers and defenders, several of each, and drills are difficult to organize. Can young QBs learn as much as their counterparts in other sports? Of course. Will more instruction become available? No question. Why? Because there is much at stake. So we certainly have seen that boom in private instructors Uh, And some incredible ones out there who do a great job. Refer to some of my podcasts with Will Hewlett as an example. Uh, There's another one with Jim Ballard. I'll put some of those in the show notes. But the idea of training the quarterback and really getting into the details has exploded since Coach Smith wrote this book. Pass receiving ability. Receivers are careless. They try to look athletic rather than conscientious. They screw around. They accept drop balls as routine. They do not compare it to tennis or baseball players in efforts to coordinate hand and eyes. Running backs drop screen passes. Tight ends face the passer and put their hands in impossible positions. Receivers do not know how to protect their catching actions in traffic. In skill development and all of athletics, receiving is surely at the bottom. This will end. It is much easier to catch a football than it is to hit a baseball. 
pioneering young receivers will begin to do with their hands and arms the incredible feats that other athletes do with theirs. Again, another thing that we've seen really uh, explode here, the training of receivers, all the different things they're doing, and just amazing catches that you see in games because of the skill that they develop on their own. Ball carrying ability. It is difficult to imagine ball carriers getting much better at running. Heavier, yes. Faster and more instinctive, no. Better at handling and catching the ball, emphatically, yes. Versatility at skill positions. The more versatile a back or receiver is, the more cautiously defenders will play on him. A reverse runner who can pass or a running back who can go deep, he gets attention. It is obvious as the millennium ends what versatility at the quarterback position can do to defenses. Why should versatility not be as important at the other five skill positions? The block-only fullback is already dying out. The motioning tight end is blossoming. Why should coaches not work to develop skills the way they work to develop body strength? Again, something we've seen, those hybrid players that are developing, tight ends that are so dynamic now with those big bodies or receivers who are bigger and guys who can come in and run the ball, right? The hybrid type player who can do a lot of things. We're starting to see that more and more in the game. Faking. It is possible to make the ball disappear for defenders and therefore to make passes and runs look almost exactly alike. Prediction. While faking cannot get better than it was in the single wing in the Notre Dame box, it will return to being done conscientiously. Uh, I still think there's room for improvement there. Uh, Coach Speckman at UC Davis talks about faking all the time. He talked about it on one of our podcasts. We also had a podcast with uh, Alaska State Champion where he talked about their system for grading faking. I'll include both of those links in the show notes. Two passers in the game. Many of today's QBs run as well as running backs. Why should some of the future running backs not as not pass as well as QBs, or why should some of the QBs not be running backs? We've seen this happen as well. Princeton did it with their multiple quarterback system uh, when Coach Gleason was there. How could the second arm be incorporated? Imagine the QB and the single back going opposite ways. Either could become a passer, a hot receiver, or a regular receiver. Either could stop with the ball and throw to a three-man pattern. Either could run an extemporaneous draw. This is the idea. The routes are left up to your imagination. The tight end would have to block first, then run the delayed route for both passers. So he has just a simple drawing here. It's a, a tight end with a flanker on one side, two receivers on the other, and basically a shotgun backfield with the back weak and both guys running the ball to the perimeters with the ability to pass. And again, we saw that in some of Princeton's offense there's other teams out there who have done it Uh, certainly if you have those kind of guys you have that player in waiting I mean that could be a package maybe that you incorporate that puts so much stress on a defense so something to think about there training players in reacting there's a need to get more repetitions in seeing defenders and reacting possibly with the help of computers controlling pictures of the defenders if a QB is to see a picture in a defense initiate a throw and part of the time react to danger by checking his throw, if that is what he has to do to play well, there's no reason why he cannot in some way repeat the seeing and the reacting several times a minute. The same for all positions. 
I've talked before about VR on this podcast. I have some uh, episodes we've done on Go Army Edge. And certainly Coach was seeing that he didn't know what it was at the time, but that virtual reality and ways we can use to train players. QB control at the line of scrimmage. The best position from which to control an offense is not from a press box. It is from the QB position. QBs can learn and be more like coaches. Countless hours off the field and out of season await their efforts. Still, only a press box coach can verbalize the difficult formation calls, remember all the play possibilities, avoid tendencies, and accumulate intelligence on the defense. More one-back formations. Pass patterns out of two-back formations with running backs running control routes got stopped by bracketing defenders. You can do running plays with one running back, but you cannot do passing plays with two running backs running control routes. The most fluid offenses today play without the fullback who ran only swings, flats, and delays. You can motion a tight end and get a lead blocker, but you cannot fix a fullback in behind a T quarterback and get a receiver. There should be more single back offense. We're seeing that. We've seen the the H-back position really involve fullbacks did die out and they came back into the game now they're more dynamic than ever so it's again that hybrid player a lot of coaches now just group their tight ends and fullbacks together I know we did that when I was at Baldwin Wallace and we just got to calling those guys hybrids because they were able to do so many different things a lot of them we had to train guys who were very dynamic but bigger either quarterbacks or receivers and they became our tight ends writing boards They are primitive tools. Drawings cannot show what defenders do even before a snap. Something more technologically advanced is needed. Players need to see where defenders will be, but also the movement that got them there. Something better will come even for the sideline. Again, go Army Edge. Uh, Coach Paint, another incredible tool. All those things Coach was talking about back then for seeing some things into the future of what we needed as coaches. Where do we go from here with the technology? I think that's going to be some of the things that we start to see interesting uses of technology for the future. Here's one that definitely became a reality. A faster pace. Basketball coaches have taken out of their game the time that was once spent dribbling the ball down the court. Players now run the floor. Football coaches could take out of their game the time spent huddling, waiting for plays, and walking to the line. Good offensive teams need to be allowed to execute as many plays as possible. Some already do. Prediction. More football teams will soon run the floor. Decision-making. There has been no manual for helping coaches learn to make decisions on matters that have watershed points, points where decisions can go either way. For example, at what point in time with a four-point lead after a touchdown do you decide to go for two points rather than one? Where is the watershed? Or at what point in time when do we go for a score while using up time? Do you pass in order to ensure that in case you get sacked, You have enough time to use your remaining down. Coaches must learn to drill themselves systematically in decision making. The tools are there for us. We have the analytics. At the high school level, there's things that you can use in game to give you better decision making tools. At the college level, it's the book, right? Uh, Championship analytics. We had Coach Ash on and we talked about all those kinds of things. I'll put some links to all the things that involved analytics on this podcast. But That's what he's talking about there. Finding ways to make better decisions to put our team in a place to win. Use of computers. The best play to call depends on a percentage chance of gaining it. 
gaining the yardage needed to maximize the chances of getting to the goal line against the percentage chances of each defense appearing. In other words, it depends on more than the mind can grasp. So why not computers in play calling, at least in game simulation? Again, we're almost there. We have a lot of those analytics. Um, it's interesting. I think it was after the 2015 season, uh, NCAA said that we were going to be able to use technology on the sideline, up in the press box and at halftime. Couldn't be, sorry, it couldn't be on the sideline, but it could be in the press box and it could be used at halftime. And so one of the things we started looking at is how could we create a model that essentially gave us a fluid play call sheet. When you think about it, your play call sheet is put together, it's static, it's, it's you know put together in the office before things start to happen, before game conditions change, before there's injuries, uh, before you know you see that you're able to threaten them in a certain place and continuously have success, you know that play call sheet, what's on top, isn't necessarily the call that you might go with. So we had actually put together a model. It was an Excel-based model, and it only took one person entering uh, the data, which was the result of the play, meaning plus or minus yards and the hash that it landed on. And then it gave us plays that we were most confident in. It was a a pretty neat system. We never were able to use it, but it's something that was a working model of how you could have a tool to help you on game day to call the plays. Pressure from the fans. As TV commentators improve in explaining what is going on, developing situations, possible choices, impending problems, probable adjustments, approaching uncertainties, fans will become more knowledgeable. The pressure on coaches to play smart will increase. We're there, right? Fans have everything at their access. What we used to share at the end of the season in clinics and was really only available in clinics, now people break that down and they break down our last game and have a report out for the fans before the next game happens. We also have the fan-controlled football that's developed. I know at one point we had Merrill Hodge come on and, and talk about that idea. A link to that one will be in the show notes as well. And he finishes with a section he calls geniuses. No matter how good a coach's ideas are, they will be countered by other ideas. Coaching intelligence is a wash. A genius is Paul Bear Bryant, who takes nothing away from his team to satisfy his ego, speaks every word as though his players will hear it, subtly ensures that his assistants get the credit, lives the pursuit of victory, demands that everyone who touches his team helps the team grow, speaks only the truth and about the effort it takes to win, has special tables at meals for his best hitters, when one game is under control, thinks only about doing things that will help win the next game. Men of his ilk will probably continue to be few and far between. I think that's up to each one of us what we want to be as a coach. Are you going to be somebody who just goes out and tries to copycat things? Are you really going to find out how does this fit together for me? How can I take what I've learned and evolve that in my own system? So a lot of insight from Homer Smith. It's amazing all the things that he predicted were there right now in the game. And again, this was 1999 when he wrote about this. So uh, if you're able to pick these up, I highly recommend it. Be sure to check the show notes for all the different links. And I want to mention our partner, Sportscope, who does an incredible job with their technology. They have AI 
that runs their end zone cams, allowing you to only have one operator up in the press box. They have instantaneous instant replay, getting from those multiple angles to the sideline on your tablet. If you're, you're looking at upgrading what you do with sideline replay or adding it for the first time, I highly recommend checking out Sportscope. Go to sportscope.com for more information. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and follow all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com.